This week on Go Check Yourself, we're talking about Chuck versus the fear of death. Oh, so is this like a continuation of Chuck versus the Isle of Terror? No, it is not. Chuck yourself. We are back. We're here and we are ready to discuss season four, episode eight, Chuck versus the fear of death. Aaron, how are you? I'm feeling good. I am not feeling as afraid of death as I was the last time we talked. So that's a win okay. in my book. <laughs> that's good. Uh, I I would agree with that statement. Um, it is not not totally gone. I don't know if it'll ever no. be totally gone, but no. I feel significantly better than yes. uh, <laughs> ourselves <laughs> in a in, in an alternate timeline. I feel very bad for the people in an alternate timeline right now. Who um, are just forced to talk about Chuck while they're crying silently. Correct. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel bad if, you know, if that is the case in the uh, the multiverse, if that's a thing, then I do feel yeah. bad, but... Uh, I'm not that in that timeline. My name is Chris Gillespie, and I'm here in this timeline with you, and I'm ready to talk about Chuck. Is that are you trying to imply that I should introduce myself? <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah, because I kind of I'm also in this timeline. Yes, we're both in this timeline, and we are very excited to be in this I'm timeline. Like the, uh, I'm like in into the Spider-Verse. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, I was in the other timeline, but I came into this one. No, that's not true. I'm just I was always in this one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump off a building. <laughs> well, don't do that. <laughs> I don't know how in your other timelines if you have superpowers, but in this one I can confirm that you definitely do not no, have any superpowers. But, okay. Um, so we are going to be talking about this episode of Chuck in just a moment. But uh, if you will indulge me for the the briefest of moments, I would like to uh, take a second to promote something else. Uh <laughs> We Which didn't I, discuss this, Chris. Huh? I'm not okay with you promoting something else. I know. I'm it's sorry. Chuck or nothing. There's. I'm, I know I'm not allowed to have any other interests uh, besides Chuck, but I find myself once again in this timeline, which I'm very grateful to be in. Uh, I was presented an opportunity to. Okay, so look, listener, you know me uh, as someone who talks about Chuck a lot. Uh, something that I don't think has ever really come up at all in the show. Probably not. Um, but my favorite band is U2. Um, that's fine. I'm used to that reaction. Aaron was, <laughs> was laughing a little bit. It's fine. Well, um, I'm laughing because you have two giant pictures of U2 framed behind your head. No, I don't. What? Who is that? That's, uh, Jack White and then uh, Jack White and his, his little four piece band from a well, few years ago. Well, it looks ago. like Bono and Bono's band to me. Bono's band is called U2, so maybe you need Chris to... Chris is an expert. I am an expert. Uh, so all of this is to say is that they have on Sirius XM, there is the new U2 X radio channel, and they have a uh, an episode or a, a show, I guess, that they do uh, that is basically a fan-hosted show, and I was lucky enough to be chosen to host one of these fan-hosted shows uh, and get to play my favorite U2 songs on Sirius XM. 
Uh, so that will be that will have aired already um, by the time that this episode is posted. I guess we will we will tweet about it in the moment so you can maybe check it out as it's airing. But if you have the the Sirius XM app, you can download the app or if you have the app, you can go to the YouTube X radio channel. And on the in the on demand section, there is the the desire show. And then I will be one of the the episodes that's available on demand in desire. So. Aaron, do you have any questions about any of that? I do actually. Okay. How long is this? How long is your segment? That's say? a good question. Uh, I get to play five songs that were okay. hand selected by me. Uh, okay. I'm very excited because the very kind people at U2X Radio uh, indulge my crazy list of <laughs> live versions and and other songs. Um, so there's those five songs. I got to introduce all of them. Uh, I do not know what the actual like engineers or programmers or whoever, like what they did, because I submitted my audio files, like kind of how we, we don't submit our audio files here and go check yourself. But I, I recorded myself talking like this and uh, sent them in. So they may have chopped them down. They may have edited it. They may, you know, do whatever to make me sound. Maybe they'll make me sound like a crazy person and sound incoherent. Uh, but I, I would assume it would be like a half hour, probably. Maybe a little less okay. than a half hour. Good to know. My plan was to get in my car, drive to the side of the road, and then just listen for a little while. But maybe half an hour. Maybe I'll take a little trip. Maybe I'll go on a far journey or just listen at home. Yeah, you could have you could have breakfast. You could have coffee with it. I. I here's, could <laughs> here's my second yes. question for you. Uh -huh. Um, how does it how you didn't like doing that as much as you like doing go check yourself though, right? You're not gonna leave us to become a full-time U2X radio DJ. Um, I mean not at this moment. I who knows what, <laughs> what will happen once the segment airs if uh Bono calls me up and tells me that they they really want me to have be on U2X radio full time. I could certainly talk about U2 ad nauseum. Uh, for much longer than a half hour. So. Sorry, Chris, is your phone ringing right now? Oh my god, is it? Oh my god, it's. Uh, it says it's a, a number from Ireland. Do you think I should answer it? Yeah, I think you should. Okay. Well, sorry. Hold on one second. Hello, this is Chris. Hello, Chris. This is Bono. Oh, Bono. Hi, Bono. I I heard your radio broadcast, and I just wanted to tell you that I. Think you picked some good choices. This is crazy, Bono. Thank you so much. I mean, which of the songs that I played did you like the most? Uh the Mr. McFisto one. The Mr. McFisto one. Okay. Um, I I we, don't know quite what you mean about that, but I I, I, I did play a song from Actone Baby, so I guess that makes sense. I wanted to let you know that uh, I've had a large fight with the Edge, and I'm kicking him out of the band, and I'd like you to take his place. What? I well, Bono, I don't know how to play guitar. I that's a terrible idea. I you should try to talk to the Edge and resolve whatever issues you have. You you're one of the most famous duos in in music and in, in rock music uh, and pop music. Hold on, Chris, I'm getting another call. I'm gonna patch it in. Hello, this is the Edge. Edge, okay, Edge. I'm so glad you're here. Um apparently Bono was just letting me know you had you guys had some kind of fight and he's trying to remove you from the band, which, you know, it breaks my heart as a, a lifelong fan. So I was hoping that maybe you guys could just kind of talk to each other right now and resolve that issue. Ah, fuck you, the Edge. Ah, fuck you, Bono. Whoa, guys, guys. <laughs> Oh, did I? So wait, did I just bring about the end of U2 by hosting my U2 radio segment? Yes. <laughs> wow. 
Well, that's unfortunate. I didn't mean to uh, break up my favorite band by by talking about them on Sirius XM, but yeah, well, uh, so they hung up now, and um, I just, I guess, what I'll say here is that you two may never exist again, but you can always hear them on Chris's radio broadcast tomorrow or today, whenever you're listening to it, or on demand, on. whenever you yeah, want. Yeah, on demand. Yeah, listen, listen to it because you might never hear you two again. If they like <laughs> die, this is gonna be really sad. <laughs> okay well with that being said i hope you listened to that uh and now i am i am pleased to return to uh my my number one focus when it comes to talking about things that interest me i'm ready to talk about chuck aaron Woo! how does this episode start so you may remember in the previous episode that mary uh showed chuck some images that seem to have taken the intersect away mm -hmm. and uh that's all you need to know <laughs> now we're diving in <laughs> okay we open on a debriefing with beckman where she basically says you done fucked up friends chuck hasn't been fired but he is benched until the intersect is fixed casey will be his shadow to protect and or monitor him while sarah heads to istanbul to follow up on a sighting of marianne volkov beckman tells chuck that she's setting him up with a bunch of cia scientists who are going to try to unsuppress the intersect. During this scene, um, this is this is going to be a theme over the next couple of episodes, interesting Amazon subtitles, um, because one of the subtitles during this is Casey grunts annoyingly. And I have to assume that what it means is like Casey grunts in annoyance, mm -hmm. but it, it reads as if he makes an annoying sound. And I don't know, what do you, what do you think an annoying grunt would sound like, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty annoying. <laughs> so we go from there to Chuck being strapped into a chair while a bunch of scientists show him what's basically America's Funniest Home Videos clips. <laughs> There's a lot of cats and people like getting hit with bats and falling off stuff. <laughs> they also splash him with water, but it's primarily the videos. This goes on for 31 days with no intersect activity. Back in the Bymore, we meet a new Greta, one Summer Glau, who I will say right off the bat, I do have a crush on her. That is just something. I'm getting it out of the way. It is true. I think it's from Arrow, but it could be remembered from this show. I just saw her name on the credits and I said, Summer Glau, great. I have not seen Firefly. Chris, I know you're going to ask. Haven't seen it. I, I, I know. Neither of us have seen Firefly. <laughs> Anyway, so Lester comments on all the new employees being named Greta, and Chuck attempts to distract Lester and Jeff by being just really emotionally raw with them. <laughs> Apparently, without the intersect, he's fallen back into his old depression about life at the Bymore. I get it, and I'm sure this is a frustrating situation for him, but he's still dating Sarah, and I think he's still a member of the CIA. Jeff also thinks that Chuck should be a little more optimistic, primarily on the Sarah front. He says, if I had her, my life would be a never-ending Cialis commercial. So, I guess a lot of sitting in bathtubs in non-traditional locations. Throwing footballs through tire swings. <laughs> we get a scene of Sarah entering the Bymore that is still objectifying her, but now sweet indie music is playing in the background as fans blow and the camera pans up her body. She and Chuck kiss, and she updates him. No news or sign of his mom over the last month. They're interrupted by Casey, who seems to be a bit antsy after his lack of missions. Morgan agrees, finally mentioning Alex, who is apparently pretty concerned about Casey's agitation as well. Chuck says he's doing all he can to get the intersect back. In fact, he's heading down to Castle to meet with a new specialist right now. 
head down to Castle Chuck does. And who should attack him when he gets there but ninjas? Ninjas. Ninjas. Chuck attempts to flash, but when he does, he just sees static. And this makes me wonder, this is not something I've ever thought about before, but is like the little sequence we see when Chuck flashes, like, is that what he's actually seeing? Does he see that like kind of like light flashy tunnels and like outlines of people doing kung fu? Or like, is that just like a visual interpretation of what it feels like? That's a good question. I always thought that it was what he saw as well. Okay, well, right? I always thought it was just like kind of like a cute little like visual what it like. Really? Like kind of like when you when the camera like zooms into somebody's veins or something. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I never thought of it like that way. I yeah. guess because it kind of replaced because in the early seasons, you would always do the like the flashing face. But I feel like the flashing mm. face is not really as prevalent anymore because they have That's this true. graphic. So it's kind of yeah. like he flashes, you see the graphic and then he's already in action instead of yeah. doing the whole weird trance. Yeah, look. I don't know. I wonder. I wish we could um, ask them what their intention was, but I guess we'll just have to decide for ourselves. Either way, Chuck fails to fight off the three ninjas, but he does try, and eventually the ninjas are called off by Jim Rye, who was played by Rob Riggle, was excited to see him. I uh, couldn't remember where I knew him from, but I said, ah, that guy, he seems to be a comedian type. He's in a he's, lot of different things as a He's a very, actor. like, robust man. Like, he's, like, he looks very strong. Well, he was, he used to be in the Marines before he got into show business. That's pretty, That that's cool. Good yeah. for him. Serving our country. Yeah. He, so <laughs> he's serving our country in Chuck, too, as a CIA agent. What? So there's him. And then there's also Adam Driver was a Marine, too, right? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were Marines, Chris. But it's just weird that there's like this minority of Marines who are able to go from being a Marine to being in show business. Seems kind like of a odd. prominent actor. Right. Like a household. I don't know. Man. Maybe there's um, I don't know. Maybe they do acting stuff in the Marines. <laughs> I mean, I one of my friends was a Marine and he never talked about them doing acting, but maybe it was like a top secret project that they were all working on. They have like a, a theater club or something, a drama club. I hope to God your friend becomes an actor now. Um, speaking of all of all of these things, Rye explains that he engineered the ninja attack and he's impressed that Chuck even tried to take on the ninjas without the intersect. Chuck points out that he's different from the other doctors, I guess mainly because he's not wearing a lab coat. Rye explains that he is different. His method of unblocking the intersect is going to be more physical, psychological, painful, and brutal. Chuck responds, let's get physical. After the credits, Chuck and Rye are hanging out in Castle's dojo, which they still have, where Rye is basically just slapping the shit out of Chuck. Sarah comes in and expresses her doubts about all this, but Rye proves his point by trying to hit her in a style of karate taught at the CIA Academy, then telling Chuck that the intersect is a lot like Sarah's muscle memory. Rye then tells Sarah, no more interruptions. Will she listen? We'll find out. Upstairs, we're treated to a Jeff and Lester B-plot, Jeff seems to be playing with a sharpened toothbrush. I don't know why he has that, <laughs> but he does. Um, while Lester is noticing Greta vanish into thin air in the home theater room. When she reappears seconds later in a new location, Jeff and Lester sneak after her. Here, we're also treated to something else we haven't seen in a while. A delicious Subway sandwich. Yes. It was, it was great to see. Greta takes it into the lunchroom and cuts into it with a super serious knife she was keeping in her garter. She catches Jeff and Lest watching, and they scatter. 
Do you, uh, how did you feel about that sandwich? I think it was, it, was it roast beef with like banana peppers, something like that? It was Black Forest ham. Yeah, it was Black Forest ham. I was, you know, the product placement works on me. I was just like, man, Subway. I remember when I had a Subway sandwich and I was like, oh, I got <laughs> so sick from the Subway sandwich. Not because of the, not because of the quality of the food, but because of my, my personal body issues. But it did make me want one. It, it made me want one too. That, that bread, the, like the oat. The honey, the mm. honey oat bread. I yeah. remember the, that from my Subway days when just, I ate Subway. Not when I worked at Subway. I didn't work at Subway. <laughs> all just those, to be clear. Those toppings, all those, the crisp <sighs> lettuce, the, the the tangy sourness of the pickles, the the, to- eh, the Subway tomatoes are not that good. But you're a regular Jordan Fogel over there. Is that his name? Jared Fogel. <laughs> Please, Jesus. <laughs> That might be the most hurtful thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) No, you did not hear it here first. I was uh, I was going for Big Mike. How about Big Mike? He's the one that talks about Subway. Yeah, thank you. I don't mean to make light of pedophilia or imply that Chris is a pedophile. I'd like to take another moment to plug my show on U2X Radio. (laughs) This seems to be a good time. So Chuck comes home from a hard day of pain therapy. Sarah says she isn't sure about Rye's methods, but she can help Chuck herself by giving him a massage and a pep talk. She says she doesn't want him to be doing all this for her. He says he isn't, but he really wants to be a spy again and get back to doing great things. Sarah says he's great on his own, but Chuck is unconvinced. When she's out of the room, another ninja sneaks in and puts a knife to Chuck's throat. Once again, he tries to flash and only gets static. The ninja takes off their mask and it's Rye again. As Sarah rushes in with a knife of her own, Rye says that the key to unlocking the intersect is PFOD, pure fear of death. We have to make Chuck super, super scared in order to unlock the intersect. We get a little scene where Greta pays a visit to Morgan to tell him that Jeff and Lester are creeping on her. Morgan is unsurprised and tells her he'll keep an eye on them. In Castle, we find out that Rye's plan is to send Chuck on a mission without the intersect. Sarah is aghast, but Beckman trusts Rye's judgment, so Chuck and Rye are off to Switzerland to attend an auction for a diamond called the Cane Volto. A bunch of criminal and terrorist organizations will be there, so Rye says that it will put Chuck in a maximum fear situation, especially since he's not allowing Sarah or Casey to come with. As Chuck heads out, Sarah tells him not to go, not to be a hero, and to come back to her safe. In Switzerland, Chuck and Rye ride up a gondola, or as Rob Riggle says, gondola. Uh, Yeah, that was an interesting line read. (laughs) They're riding it up to the top of the mountain. Uh, Rye is excited about being in Switzerland, but Chuck misses Sarah, so Rye assures him that the level of fear that Chuck will experience when they exit the gondola will be enough to jumpstart the intersect, and Chuck will be good to go. Back in Castle, Sarah and Casey have a one-on-one. Sarah asks Chuck if he thinks that Chuck can take care of himself without the intersect, and Casey says that he thinks that Chuck will give it his best shot. Sarah is uncharacteristically anxious about Chuck being away and decides to call him to check in. Chuck answers his phone as he and Rye enter the uh, the auction, which is being held at a large like Swiss mansion that's serving as the auction house, I guess. Uh, Chuck tells her that Switzerland is is beautiful and that the chocolate is even better than he expected. Sarah tells Chuck that if he gets cornered to not do anything crazy, Chuck tells her that everything will be fine and hangs up. As they look at the other guests of the auction, Chuck asks Rye if he should be wearing a disguise or something. But Rye reminds Chuck that it's best that Chuck doesn't have a disguise since someone might recognize him and come at him with a knife, which would be great for their purposes. 
As Chuck and Rye take their seat at the auction, Rye identifies a lot of the international crime lords that are seated around them. Rye reminds Chuck uh, that when he wins the auction, all of these bad guys are going to be very upset with him and will likely try to follow him home and kill him. As the auction gets started, Rye stands up and wishes Chuck the best of luck. He says that Chuck will have the best odds of flashing if Chuck is totally by himself. The auction gets underway and the bidding for the uh, 100 carat diamond starts at 25 million Swiss francs. Uh, And at this point, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, have you ever participated in an auction? I've I've been the item sold at an auction, as you may remember, because you were the one who bought me. This makes it Wait, sound what? like I am your slave. There was. <laughs> Is that why? When I when I first approached you all those many years ago and said, "Hey, do you want to do a podcast?" and you're like, "Well, is that what you want to do?" and I was like, "Yeah, do you want to do it?" and you're like, "If if you that's what you're telling me, then." Is that why you're so complacent to everything I ask you to do is because I own you? Yeah, that sounds about right. Wow. Okay, I I am I'm not doing a bit right now. I legitimately do not remember that. There was um there was a date auction our I want to say sophomore year of college. Um, a superhero date auction for one of the clubs that I was in. Okay. And you and one of our other mutual friends paid a a, a good sum of ten dollars to uh, own me. <laughs> I, I so we I split you with this person. You, yes, you co-own me with one of our other friends. And so you, you should talk to them and uh, get uh, see what what they want because they haven't. I don't know that they've come to collect yet. So. Okay. Just check in. So I would say this was a score for ten dollars. I've been I'm certainly getting plenty of mileage out of you. So this has been great. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Um, um, hopefully I've been OK as your owner. Hope seems like things are going all right. You don't seem to resent me too much. Yeah, it's better than the time my mom sold me to One Direction. That's a fan fiction joke. <laughs> what about you? Have you ever participated in an auction? I've not. Aside from maybe like an eBay, a failed eBay attempt at some point. But I. <laughs> yeah. That I really thought that was going to be a throwaway question. I did not think it was going to lead to anything <laughs> interesting, but I was very wrong. And you were I'm, wrong. The more you know, I guess. So anyway, back to Chuck, which is what we're here to talk about. Chuck follows the plan uh, and keeps driving up the bid because he's got to win the diamond. And so he places a bid. He, he's not really familiar with how to do auctions, um, as I am not uh, I, I am also not familiar with how to do auctions, but apparently I think they talk really fast, right? They're not really doing that in this specific auction, but that's kind of a thing. That's the idea. Yeah. Um, so Chuck kind of very quickly drives up the bid to over 60 million Swiss francs. Uh, and at this point, someone behind Chuck points a gun into his back and tells him to stop bidding. Chuck thinks that this is just a ploy by Rye. So he disregards it and continues bidding. The stranger threatens Chuck if he keeps bidding, but Chuck doesn't give a shit. So he keeps bidding. Chuck eventually turns around and sees the Rye standing in the distance, which means that the man behind Chuck is not Rye. Indeed, it is an actual Eastern European gentleman who tells Chuck once again to stop bidding and then makes a bid himself of 100 million Swiss francs. Chuck looks at Rye for help, but Rye is enjoying a Swiss chocolate bar. None of the other attendees at the auction want to bid outbid this man. So the diamond is sold for 100 million Swiss francs. Did you know the conversion rate of Swiss francs to U.S. dollars? It's, uh, it's $1.10 currently. Currently? 
currently. Well, I, don't... I did look it up. Uh, oh boy. Okay. And I was going to make it part of my lesson of the week, but I, okay, uh, fine. I also anticipated that you would bring this up. So I made a backup lesson of the week, which wow. is not as exciting, but there you go. You know me so well. I know. Well, when you own someone, you just get to <laughs> know them so well. <laughs> uh, Chuck gets up and walks over to Rye and tells him that he blew it, to which Rye says, you absolutely blew it. Rye asks if Chuck flashed, but Chuck says that he was never really afraid because he thought the mysterious man was Rye the entire time. Thinking on his feet, Chuck theorizes that nobody carries 100 million Swiss francs on them, so the diamond will probably stay in the auction house overnight until the money is transferred giving he and Rye some extra time to get a closer look at it. Rye is a uh, a good collaborator and follows the rules of yes and, and says that not only will they get a closer look at it, they will also steal it. Woo! Back at the Bymore, Jeff and Lester lead a presentation in which they attempt to recruit all the other Bymore employees to help them uncover the truth about Greta and why she's so mysterious. Morgan and Casey overhear this, and Casey says that Greta will handle it. Morgan asks how she's going to handle it, and Casey says that she's an assassin, so she'll just kill anyone who gets near her. Morgan does not like the solution and says that he and Casey need to work together to find a better nonviolent solution since they're a team. In a very cynical turn, Casey tells Morgan that without the intersect, Team Bartowski is probably on its last legs anyways, so Morgan is on his own in finding a nonviolent solution to the Greta problem. Yeah, Casey's kind of a bummer this episode. Kind of a downer. Back in Switzerland, Chuck and Rye wander the halls of the auction house until they find the vault. Rye knocks the security guard unconscious with just one touch of his hand, and he and Chuck have a delightful back and forth about Star Trek. They enter the vault with ease, but it's empty. As soon as they're inside, an alarm goes off and the vault goes into lockdown mode. Chuck says, what now? And Rye tells him that he's going to flash, but Chuck says that he isn't afraid for his life. At this point, liquid nitrogen starts to fill the room, and Rye says that the room is going to drop to well below zero degrees. Within 30 seconds, so Chuck needs to flash if he doesn't want to freeze to death in a matter of seconds. Chuck, as it turns out, is frozen in more ways than one. He can't flash, and he's running out of time. Panicked, Chuck tries to call Sarah, but he doesn't have any cell service. Rye keeps telling Chuck to flash, but Chuck says that's not happening. Rye accepts this and walks over to the control panel, where he's able to easily disable the liquid nitrogen. Chuck is beside himself, and Rye says that he thought that Chuck would flash but he came prepared anyways. With the security protocol disabled, the diamond pops out of a secret compartment in the wall, but wait, more diamonds pop out of more secret compartments. What's going on? What a dream. (laughs) Diamonds. You know, they are a girl's best friend. (laughs) Yeah, that was a real slumber party right there. I think that's what you call multiple diamonds, right? Is it? (laughs) A slumber party? Is that a thing? Yeah, look it up. Um, Multiple diamonds name I, I i what is a cluster of diamonds called um nope this is not i think you made this up <laughs> i don't i don't see it anywhere uh i did make that up aaron that was that was a joke it wasn't yeah i'm sorry why'd you make me look it up then because i I'm... thought you were doing a bit i thought you were trying to bluff me into saying i was just kidding but I googled Diamond Slumber Party. <laughs> that sounds like it would be fun. Everyone yeah, wears diamonds does. and has a slumber party. Yeah. Um, maybe after COVID, we'll, we can have a, a diamond okay, slumber party. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so there's all these diamonds, uh, <laughs> which may or may not be referred to as a slumber party. Chuck takes out 
one of those tiny magnifying glasses people use to examine diamonds. Apparently, they're called loops. I'm not making that one up. That's what the show refers to these things as. <laughs> they're called loops, uh, as as seen in the movie Looper, which is about Joseph Gordon-Levitt going around examining diamonds until he turns it to Bruce Willis in his old age. Um, That's true. Yes, that is absolutely true. I don't need to look that one up. I've seen Looper, and I can confirm. <laughs> um, so he's examining one of the diamonds chuck explains that he took an online geology course during their flight to switzerland and when he's examining this diamond he quickly notices that the diamond is just made of glass rye examines a different diamond and observes that it too is made of glass and although they don't examine all of them i guess we're led to believe that they assume that all of the diamonds are fake and made of glass chuck replaces one of the fake diamonds with their own fake diamond <laughs> and then they exit the vault but i was like i don't know if the real diamond i thought it was like that the real diamond was hidden with all the fake diamonds. And if you remove the wrong one, kind of like Indiana Jones and the uh, the Last Crusade with the, the Holy Grail, you would get like there would be some kind of security protocol. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was thinking that, too. Um, that does not seem to be the case. <laughs> it's not the case. Expectations subverted, everyone. <laughs> but I would <laughs> like to ask you, what is a cluster of fake diamonds called? A sleepover. Oh, OK. All right. That makes sense. Walking out of the auction house, Chuck says that he doesn't understand why all of the anxiety he just experienced didn't remove the mental block from the intersect. Rye says that it's likely because the mental block is tied to anxiety about a certain person or relationship in Chuck's life. Chuck doesn't know who this could be, so Rye takes out Chuck's phone and shows him a picture of Sarah. Chuck is stunned. What could that mean? I just have to stop here and say, why? I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, but why is the relationship that is causing the mental block, if it is a relationship, why is it not Chuck's mom? Why is it Sarah? Because the intercepts stopped working because of what Mary did. He doesn't really ever bring up the fact that like, yeah, my mom showed me this modified PSP and now the intersect doesn't work. Yeah. He, it, it, so I have to assume everybody knows that, but I don't know why um, they think that he can just resolve it on his own. Right. Or that if he even if he could resolve it on his own, that it's not tied to the last time that he saw his mom, which is the first time that he saw his mom his entire adult life. And the last time yeah. that she, like he saw her, his childhood home exploded and his father's life were it was very traumatic for him. So yeah. that all of that would be understandable. But apparently Sarah is to blame. Yep. So that's Always what we're going woman. with. It goes back to Eve. Back in Burbank, we're in Alex's diner now where Casey and Alex are having lunch or maybe just coffee. Uh, they're finishing up and Alex asks how Casey's doing at work. Turns out that Morgan has told her that uh, Casey hasn't been acting like himself. Alex says that there's something bothering Casey more than just his itchy trigger finger. Casey says that he's been trying to mentally prepare himself to go back into active duty in the event that Team Bartowski is dissolved without the intersect. He's afraid that he's gotten soft by making friends in Burbank. Alex tells him that Morgan is afraid that Team Bartowski is going to be disbanded as well and suggests that Casey be nice to his friends since he only has a limited amount of time with them. That's nice. It's a nice moment. At the Buy More, uh, Morgan encounters a, another Subway $5 footlong with Greta's name written right on it, just sitting on the nerd herd desk. He picks it up and looks in the distance and sees Jeff and Lester hiding behind a display fixture. Morgan asks them what they're doing and then tells them that they need to back off of Greta Jeff and Lester are very adamant about getting to the bottom of the Greta mystery and will not listen to Morgan. When they see her walk by, they blow past Morgan and try to follow her. By the time Jeff and Lester get to where they lost, they last saw Greta, 
Uh, Greta appears behind Morgan and tells him that Jeff and Lester are going too far. If they uncover her true identity, it will put the Bymore CIA base and national security in jeopardy. Greta tells Morgan that she's ready to neutralize the risk, but Morgan pleads with her that Jeff and Lester aren't smart enough to uncover the truth. Greta says that she hopes that's true. Otherwise, she's going to introduce them to her favorite friend, Knife. Back in Switzerland, Chuck and Rye are analyzing the fake diamond from the vault, uh, and they're sending their findings back to Castle. Chuck asks Rye if he really thinks that Sarah is the mental block preventing the intersect from working. Chuck, once again, does not bring up like, hey, maybe it was my mom, but yeah, he's thinking it's Sarah. Uh, Rye <laughs> points out that Chuck has called for Sarah the past two times he's felt like he's been in real danger. Chuck says that he did that because he was afraid, and Rye says that that's understandable for a nerd herder. Real spies, Rye says, handle their fear on their own. He then asks Chuck if he's a real spy or just a guy with a spy girlfriend, and Chuck insists that he's a real spy. Back in Castle, Sarah and Casey have a meeting with Beckman and Chuck and Rye to discuss the fake diamonds. Turns out that the Belgians, uh, specifically one Belgian in particular, uh, has planted microchips into the fake diamonds, and these microchips potentially contain some of the United States national security secrets. Beckman says that apprehending the Belgian owner of these diamonds and securing all the fake diamonds is a code red mission. It's top priority. Sarah says that she thinks it would be best for her to go to Switzerland to help. But Chuck says that he and Rye will handle it on their own because that's the only way he can get the intersect working again. Sarah and Chuck have their uh, their second fight, I guess, if we're led to believe the title of last week's episode. Chuck says that he can handle it because he's a spy. And Sarah says, no, you're not. Uh Oh, so there's. There's a sufficiently awkward pause as uh, Chuck and Sarah are fighting in front of everyone. It feels like a a pretty authentic, legitimate fight. Uh, Sarah, of course, reveals that she she doesn't think that Chuck's a real spy. I gasped. It was very shocking. Yeah. Beckman agrees with Sarah, apparently, and deploys Sarah to go to Switzerland. Chuck is upset about this, obviously, but Sarah says that they'll talk when she gets to Switzerland and that she just can't have Chuck risk his own life for this. Uh, And then we have a declassified scene um (laughs) don't get your hopes up after chuck and rye get off of the phone call rye congratulates chuck for standing up to sarah he's convinced now that chuck has identified sarah as the mental block and that since chuck stood up to her the intersect will activate the next time chuck experiences fear rye points out that they have at least five hours until sarah arrives which is more than enough time for them to find the bad guys and get themselves into legitimate danger you're telling me that scene didn't happen in the episode? That scene did not happen in the episode, but you felt like it happened, didn't it? I did, yeah. <laughs> not to be deterred, Jeff and Lester up the ante of their Greta game and just straight up call her to the cage over the store's speaker system. She does go, followed by Morgan and Casey, and Jeff and Lester lock her in, which is honestly extremely threatening and I got a little anxious. <laughs> They ask her who she is and what she knows, and she immediately pulls her knife. Before things can go south, though, Casey comes in and does some quick thinking. He says Greta has been sneaking around because she's been stealing head massagers from the Bymore. Morgan goes along with this, and they escort Greta out before anyone can get hurt. Jeff and Lester are proud of themselves. Back in Switzerland, Sarah seems to have sent Chuck a selfie from the plane, or else her contact photo is just really big. And I don't think contact photos like that existed in 2010, so I don't really know what's going on here. But she does uh, say she's making good time and ask him to call her. He doesn't, though, because he's still mad about what she said. Chuck and Rye watch surveillance footage of the Belgian finding out about the stolen diamonds and making a plan with his men to escape with the other diamonds via the gondola. 
Rye asks Chuck if he wants to hang around and wait for Sarah or catch the Belgian and be heroes. Chuck says, let's be heroes. In Castle, Greta fumes to Casey about how his team is unprofessional, but he tells her the Bymore team is strong and basically kicks her to the curb. This is apparently a Firefly reference, but neither Chris nor I would know that because we have not <laughs> seen Firefly. I don't know why you keep asking. Greta grunts and stalks out. This is when Casey sees the decoded microdot data from the diamond. It says Chuck is the intersect, which means the Belgian has seen this data and knows exactly who Chuck is. Casey calls Sarah and then Sarah calls Chuck and we get a legitimate shot of a phone number that doesn't look to be a 555 number. It's like you see her phone screen for a second and I really wonder whose it is and what would happen if you called it. Before Sarah can tell Chuck about the Belgian, Rye grabs the phone and says he and Chuck can handle whatever comes their way. They board the gondola with the Belgian. Oh no! So as Sarah speeds toward the gondola in her car, Rye pulls his gun on the Belgian and his men, but they're prepared for a standoff and pull their guns too. They say they know who Chuck is and they're going to kidnap him since the intersect is worth much more than all the diamonds. Rye asks if Chuck is scared, then admits that he is too, but he hopes the fear will help Chuck flash. He pushes Chuck right into the fray, and he flashes a little bit more than before, but it's still not really working. Luckily and or unluckily for him, he pretty quickly trips on the door handle, which you'd think would be a little harder to accidentally open, but it does accidentally open, and then he's hanging off the gondola. Rye fights off the bad guys himself, but refuses to help Chuck up. He tells Chuck to admit that he doesn't need Sarah, but Chuck says he does need her. Right about then, Rye gets shot in the chest and pushed out of the gondola to his death by the Belgian. So that's a bummer. The Belgian pulls Chuck back up into the cab. Sarah gets a call from Chuck's phone, but it's the Belgian telling her he has Chuck and if she follows them, he'll kill Chuck. He didn't have to do that, and it's honestly kind of nice of him to just, like, give her a heads up. I don't know, I <laughs> thought that was nice of him. Back in Burbank, Beckman says she's put out a code red for Chuck's whereabouts. Sarah doesn't think this is good enough, mostly because she's incredibly guilty about Chuck doing everything he did to try to prove to her that he could be a spy on his own. While Casey is given point on the mission, Beckman orders Sarah to go home and get some rest. She does go home, but she immediately begins packing a bag to go after Chuck. Morgan and Casey come in to say they'll go with her. Meanwhile, Chuck is strapped into another chair and faces down the Belgian, who's got a bunch of needles and torture equipment and stuff. The Belgian says he wants the intersect, and that's where it ends. Dun dun dun. That's a real uh, cliffhanger. Or, real uh, cliffhanger. Or should I say, uh, gondola hanger. Mm. Like, uh, Pretty clever, Chris. That is uh, Chuck versus the fear of death. Um, whether or not Chuck was afraid for his life more in this episode than he normally is, who can say? We hear it. Go check yourself. We uh we don't fear death. We uh we actually embrace death. Uh we we are very we're close friends with with death. Uh one could even say that uh the the darkness of death is our old friend, a la Simon and Garfunkel. I'm of course referring to the kill part of our segment, Chuck Mary Kill, which is uh, the, I see where you're going. Yes, now. the segment that we do every week where we identify one element of the episode that we'd like to marry and one element of the episode that we would like to kill so Aaron what would you like to marry this week I really really enjoyed Rob Riggle's performance I thought he brought some comparable energy to the Chuck cast like he felt like someone who mm -hmm. had and could continue to if he hadn't died exist in the Chuck world for a long time to come so I thought he was great in that way I also found him to be very funny he does have this kind of persona in other work, and I think he continues it here, where he's just kind of, like, good-natured, but, like, 
also like kind of serious. I think he balanced that well with um the spy flavor. Um, I don't think we'll we'll talk about this um sooner than you think, but I don't think his he was strongest in any kind of fighting capacity, but he he did what was required of him, and I genuinely felt sad when he got shot and died. What about you? Well, Aaron, this week you uh we apparently have the same Mary, but wow. not only do we have the same Mary, but you almost said verbatim what I wrote down <laughs> for my Mary. I was looking at this and I was like, is there anything else I could add? But there's not. You, you said everything <laughs> that I was going to say. I really I agreed. I felt like what you said about, you know, Rob Riggle being kind of like a, a good fit kind of was mm-hmm. I, I really agreed with. And I thought that he brought a nice kind of um, a nice touch to the the episode. So I was happy yes. to to have him and i was sorry that he's now dead in the chuck universe yeah me too so for my kill um i am far from alone in saying this i read several reviews most notably from av club and den of geek about the gondola fight um i did not have so much of a problem with the green screen effect of chuck hanging from the gondola but i just thought that that was a cool set that they could have utilized a lot better um you don't see a lot of gondola fights, and it obviously wasn't a real gondola, so they could have, like, had more acrobatics or all the usual choreography that they have. It was just kind of disappointing. I'm okay with Chuck being out of the action, but I would have liked to see a little bit more from the standoff and from the, the fighting and everything. It just felt, like, very run-of-the-mill and, dare I even say, boring. What about you? Well, with the gondola, too, like, the kind of the physics of it were kind of strange because I feel like when you have gondolas or kind of chairlifts or anything like that, like they're never really that they're, they're up against a a steep incline usually, but they're not, they're high, but they're not usually like that high. Like this gondola almost looked like it was like a helicopter height, like above the mountains and everything, which seemed kind of, it looked just kind of like it was floating in space. Um, so I agree with that. It's a bummer that, like, it would have been something that would have been really cool if they pulled it off. Like, I feel like that could be, if it had been as fun, it could have been something like you talk about, oh, the runway fight in Chuck. Oh, the rooftop fight. Oh, the gondola mm-hmm. fight. But this was just kind of very forgettable other than the fact that it was on a gondola. So we both married Rob Riggle, but I am going to have to kill Rob Riggle's character. Okay. I thought that Rye, as a character, somewhat embodied, you know, toxic masculinity, and it seemed to to really instigate issues between Chuck and Sarah, and I uh, did not appreciate it. So, although I I was glad that Rob Riggle was in Chuck, uh, I could have gone without Agent Rye, and I'm glad that he's dead in the Chuck universe. (laughs) Okay, well, that sounds like you're having a little bit of uh, complex feelings right now, so I'm glad you were able to kind of figure out the parts you liked and the parts you didn't like and kind of split them. It was very wise of you. Thank you. Well, I think that that would be, uh, we can continue doing this in the scooter scale where we rate this episode on a, using a a scale of zero to five corn dogs when we do parse uh, what we like and what we don't like uh, in this section. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you like to give this episode? So I actually pretty much enjoyed this episode. I agree with what you're saying about Rai's character and toxic masculinity and the, um, I find it a little bit problematic, the idea that, like, Chuck is too reliant on Sarah and, like, this this will come up in the following episode as well. I feel like it's 
again, they're they're taking some swings with putting tension in Chuck and Sarah's relationship, and I'm not sure I totally agree with the direction, but I did enjoy this episode, problems aside, so I'm going to give it a 4.25. Really? 4.25? Yeah. It's just like a general, I've read in some of the reviews that it's kind of like if you don't think about it too hard, it's a really good episode, and I kind of agree with that. I think that I can pick apart the fight, and I can pick apart the Chuck and Sarah issues, and I can pick apart the fact that, like, Sarah was driving in a car, even though she was on a plane, and where was she going, and how was that all working? I don't know. But when I think about, like, actually sitting down and watching it, there were a lot of good moments, and I just have positive feelings about it. Okay. That's yeah. good. Take us down. Huh? <laughs> Take us down, Chris. Um, I would give it a three out of okay. five. Um, okay. I, I felt like it was very middle of the road um, for me this week. I think I do like, I don't know. It's kind of a, a point where I, I did enjoy it kind of like mm -hmm. I'm like neutral, but leaning positive. Um, I just felt like the plot was just kind of a rehashing of topics that we've, we've dealt with before in earlier seasons, the intersects not working because Chuck is stressed. Chuck being stressed about Sarah. Sarah's not, Thinking about Chuck like he's a real spy. I feel like we've kind of already covered all of this. And this episode didn't really add anything new to that conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just pretty lukewarm. Like I felt like it was kind of, you know, they go to the auction house. They break into the diamond vault. All that stuff is resolved pretty quickly. And then they're on mm -hmm. the gondola. Like you said, the gondola fight wasn't super exciting. The B-plot with Jeff and Lester and Greta, I didn't really think was yeah, too was interesting. Nothing. Um, yeah. I did like when Casey like finally stepped up and like, yeah. uh, stopped the, the confrontation. I appreciated that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I really didn't really, I didn't strongly dislike any of the episode. I just also didn't really strongly like too much of the episode. So that's fair. Road. And you're kind of making me feel like I should go lower. Oh, this is How low what can we're talking you go? about. Thinking, thinking about low? the episode. <laughs> like you're never going to stop. All the things I don't remember the, top. The, the rest of it. It's a good song, though. <laughs> Is that a song? That's the, uh, I, the, were you doing the, um, the cha-cha slide? Is that the cha-cha slide? That's the cha-cha slide. Okay. I don't know. I feel like there's been a, there's been a lot of misinformation in this episode. That's true. But one thing that is not misinformation is the lesson of the week where we celebrate knowledge and what we learned this week. Aaron, what did you learn this week in this episode? Swiss, Swiss chocolate. Very smooth. Very creamy. Very good. Are is you serious? Yours? Is that you, yours? You took up my backup lesson, too? <laughs> Do we just have some I kind did. of telepathic connection going on now? I think we might. Okay, so I guess I'll stick with my first lesson, which you already <laughs> ruined. I, I need to prepare two additional backup lessons now every week. Yep, we should. Okay, well, okay, listener. So let's talk about the exchange rate between U.S. dollars and Swiss francs. <laughs> um, so in 2010, when this episode was filmed, likely um, the exchange rate was 0.9616 U.S. dollars for every one Swiss franc which means that the diamond in the episode sold for about 96 million US dollars. That's a pretty good deal. Um, yep. You know, however, the current exchange rate, as Aaron alluded to earlier, is a dollar and 10 cents US dollars for every one Swiss franc, which means that if they bought the diamond today, it would have actually cost 110 uh, million US dollars because the Swiss franc is currently stronger than the US dollar. 
And that is all for today's Go Chuck Yourself International Exchange <laughs> Report. Uh, I can't believe you took both of my lessons. That's incredible. I know, I, I'm sorry. That's kind of amazing, but I, yeah, I'm sorry. I might, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I can, you think I could recoup my $10 if I get our mutual friend involved and she could give me $10 and I'll just give you to her like full time, like all the time. So we're not sharing the $20 fee. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, good. Well, we'll get on that. <laughs> we will get on that. Um, I will make one last plug for my appearance on U2X Radio, which I'm very excited about. Uh, check it out if you have the Sirius XM app on your phone. You can find it on demand. I think you can get a free trial of the the Sirius XM app if you'd like. Um, so check it out. I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I was very excited to to gush about my favorite band and play these songs that mean a lot to me so i hope that you listen and you enjoy or maybe you don't listen maybe you're like i'm not gonna listen to that that's okay too but or I appreci- maybe you do listen and you don't enjoy <laughs> but don't I, do that because that would be sad i think I'm that, sure you will enjoy <laughs> i'm sure you will you'll thoroughly enjoy it if you listen to it uh so thank you i will try to refrain from bringing it up again even though i would love to talk about it more so uh, for this week's episode of Go Chuck Yourself, my name has been Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy, especially Swiss chocolate, because it's so gosh darn milky. <laughs> my name is Bono, and I'm letting you know that anything is possible. Like me getting a phone call from Bono informing me that I single-handedly broke up U2. They have the, not to bore you with U2 facts, but they're the longest running band that hasn't had a personnel change at all. Really? Yeah, they've never That's had. That's interesting. No one's ever left the band. No one's ever added to the band. No one's passed away. Fortunately, knock on wood. Same guys. Well, it's a shame that that's all changed. That I, <laughs> I just ruined forty years of friendship and music by my <laughs> one thirty-minute segment on U2X Radio, um, and potentially have ruined this friendship too over the past hour of this show by finding out that I. I purchased you in an auction and I'm now trying to give you away because you your psychic powers are too strong. <laughs> and I uh, I remember wistfully the days that this was just a podcast about Chuck, but <laughs> I guess that's never been truly the case. Nope. <laughs> well, we've got a lot to think about. So thank you and good night. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.